Uh, welcome. I'm going to fall off the stage. Um, welcome, everybody. If it is your first time here, my name is John. If I didn't meet you on the way in, sorry about that. Hope to meet you on the way out. Um, but we are in, what is this now? Week four, I think, of this series that we're calling Say What? Where we are just, that's how you have to say it, by the way. Adam taught me that. Um, where we are taking a look at these wild statements that Jesus would often make all throughout his earthly ministry that would just cause the original audience when they heard this to kind of scratch their head, look to the person next to them and go, did he just say what I think he just said? Okay, and, and, and what we have found and what we'll continue to see is that it was often the say what statements that would go on to have the, the most profound impact in our lives and in this world. So today what I wanna do is I wanna take a look at a statement that really would have confused the original audience. In fact, it would have aggravated them, it would have bothered them, it would have gotten them all riled up, and it might actually have the same effect on you. And if I were a betting man, I think Jesus wanted it to be that way. So what we're going to look at today is not only just a, a say what statement, but actually we're going to take a step back and take a look at what I'll call a say what concept. Now the statement that Jesus made that caused everybody to recoil when they heard it, is when he once said, so the last will be first. And the first, well, they're going to be last. And without even knowing the context of what this is, some of you might know, but without even knowing the context, you're just like, this, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> Whatever that is, I don't want any part of that, okay? That doesn't sound fair. Last people first, first people, no, 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 I don't, I don't want that. And I think the reason we sort of don't like whatever this sounds like it's getting at is because we, particularly as Americans, we live in a first-come, first-served society. I got here first, so I'm going to be attended to first. Thank you very much. You slept in. That's fine. That's your prerogative. I got up. I set an alarm clock. I knew there was going to be traffic. I planned for that. I got here before everybody else. I'm here. I want to be seen to. The last will be first. The first will be last. I don't think so. But it is with this say what statement that Jesus really more than introduces us to, but, but elaborates on what is an equally confusing concept known as grace. Now, grace is what I will call the lifeblood of Christianity. It truly is. Grace is the currency of God's economy. Grace is what attracted people to Jesus and yet at the same time, it was grace that so confused people about Jesus. So what is grace? What is grace? Grace is undeserved, unearned, unearnable favor from God. It is favor from God not based on what you did. In fact, it's favor from God in spite of what you've done. Grace is what you crave, and you maybe wouldn't have used this term, but grace is what you were looking for. Grace is what you crave when you hurt someone that you love. Because in that moment, you can't take back what you've done. You can't erase the past. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. But you want that person, the one that you hurt, you want that person to treat you and accept you and, and see you as if whatever you did didn't happen. That's grace. It's like you, that, that the relationship that has now been broken, that that relationship could be restored in spite of what you've done. That's grace. And, and that's what Jesus brought. 
Now, when Jesus stepped into this world, he stepped into a world that was dominated by law, capital L, the law, by rules, by regulations. You know, you got to do this, you can't do that. You got to eat this food, you got to avoid that food. You got to be with these people and not be with that people. And if you do all this perfectly, then you and God, you're good. Now, as humans, we actually like laws. You might say that you don't, but we actually like laws. And the reason we like laws is they're easy. When it comes to laws, it's very straightforward. You get what you deserve. But the problem with the law is that it, it began to create somewhat of a, a false hierarchy in society. All of a sudden, what began to sprout out was this group that would be the religious elite, people who were just really good at being good. And it caused them to compare themselves to other people. It caused them to build themselves up and yet at the same time push others down. And those folks that have been pushed down, well, they begin to look at their religious elite and they go, well, I, I could never be as, as good as, as they are. And so since I can't live up to that, I'm, I'm never going to be good enough for God. And as much as we don't like this system, it works because it, it just, it makes sense. You just get what you deserve. But then Jesus comes along and Jesus brings grace and grace was foreign. Grace didn't make any sense. Grace was so different than anything these folks had ever seen before and had ever known before. I mean, when grace entered the picture, grace blew away all those rules. It blew away all the regulations and it blew away, it decimated that false hierarchy. Because it was no longer about who you were and what you could do. Now, it was all about who God was and what God would do for you. And it was this grace of Jesus that he would speak about that absolutely threw people. They, just didn't, they didn't understand it. They, they couldn't comprehend it. But if you were on the receiving end of it, you loved it. But when you saw grace doled out to others, at times it was confusing. Sometimes even unsettling. Because this was the case, because the folks struggled to really grasp what, what grace was like and, and what God was like, Jesus, all throughout his earthly ministry, would continually try to explain to us how grace works, how the kingdom of God works, or the kingdom of heaven. He uses those interchangeably. And to teach us about how all this stuff works, Jesus would use parables. Now, what is a parable? A parable, as we like to define here, a parable is a fake story that Jesus would create to tell a real truth, right? Fake story, real truth. I once heard parables described as an imaginary garden with real toads. And you're the real toad, okay? Which means that when Jesus taught these parables, our job was not just to listen, but our job was to figure out which character in the story was God and which character in the story is us. Who, who are we? And here's the thing. These stories can have multiple characters, so you've really got to pay attention. You've really got to figure out, okay, this one is God, and I think this one, I think this one applies to me. And so one day, as Jesus was before a large crowd, he attempted to sort of explain this concept of grace. He wanted to explain how the kingdom of God, how it all operates, because 
We were confused. And so in Matthew chapter 20, verse 1, he kicks off this parable. And he says, for the kingdom of God is like, and whenever Jesus is speaking and he says the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like, this like lets you know he's about to go into a parable, a fake story that didn't happen, but he's telling you a real truth. So it's like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Okay, so as we're going to learn shortly, early means 6 a.m. This landowner, this vineyard owner, he has gone out into the town square specifically to hire people for the grape harvest. Now, I have friends who are actually in the wine industry. They own a small little vineyard out in Napa. In fact, some of you actually own some of their stuff. And when I was talking to him about this, he, he would say that the, the grape harvest is the most important day on the calendar by far. They've been planning for it all year long. They, they know exactly when to harvest down to the day, down to the hours, down to the angle of the sun. They know how many grapes are on those vines before they even start. They know the bushels. They know the tonnage. They know how many pickers they will need if they're not using machines. They know how many pickers they will need to accomplish a job in the time they need to get it all done. And this is down to a science and this is what winemakers have been doing since the beginning of time. Nothing was left up to chance. They knew exactly what they're doing. And so this vineyard owner, having all of this information about his grapes and the size and the amount of workers, he heads out into the town square where the day laborers are gathered. They would wait for work. And he goes at 6 a.m. specifically to hire the people to get the job done, and he would hire everyone he needs at that time. And while he was there, it says he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and he sent them into his vineyard. So what's a denarius? Obviously, we don't use this term today. A denarius is a unit of currency, right? It's like a dollar. Um, and it would have been a standard day's wage for that point in time, and it would have been a standard day's wage for this type of work. And so these grape pickers, they agree to the terms, and they start picking the pinot. All right? Three hours go by. About nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace, and he saw some people standing around doing nothing. Now, remember, at 6 a.m., this vineyard owner went out into town specifically to hire who he needed for the day. Now, according to verse 3, he's just passing through town, right? He's out there in, in the piazza. He's, he's having a cappuccino. He's eating a little biscotti. And he just happens to see people that are just standing around doing nothing. Well, in fact, they're waiting for work. So he hired them. Now, this is so cool, and we, we might miss this if we're not really looking for it, but remember, he's already hired everyone he needs for the day to get the job done. It's not like he started at 6 a.m., and by 7 a.m., he realized, oh, my gosh, we got way more grapes than I was expected. I got to go out and we'll get more workers. That, that would never happen. No, he's no longer hiring people based on what he needs. Now he's out there hiring people based on their needs. So he hired them, telling them that he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. Three hours go by. 
says he went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon, and he did the same thing. He just keeps going out there into the plaza. He keeps wandering around, having a sandwich, and he's seeing who's there. And when he sees someone who's there just waiting around, looking for work, he invites them into his vineyard. One of the things that we know about Jesus, particularly when he tells parables, is that he loved hyperbole. Hyperbole are just big exaggerations. And the reason he loved to use hyperbole is because it would challenge the audience. It would challenge the way that we sort of look at the world. It would sort of push the reality of these stories. And so the original audience, who all work in agriculture, who are all very familiar with the grape harvest, they're hearing this story and they're going, what is going on? This would literally never happen. You would never begin hiring people all throughout the day. I mean, this would, you get everybody you need at the beginning of the day. Meanwhile, they're trying to figure out, okay, now which one is God and, and who am I in this story? And then Jesus really pushes the limits of reality in this story. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again, and he saw some more people standing around, and he asked them, why haven't you been working today? So think about this. It's 5 p.m. There is like tops, tops, one hour left of work in that day. And these people have been out there all day long. They're hungry. They're cranky. They probably got to go to the bathroom. And this guy comes around and says, why haven't you been working today? And I just have to imagine that with just a little bit of defeat in their voices, they replied and they said, because no one hired us. Hearing this and, and filled with compassion, this vineyard owner tells them, well, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. Now, when the original audience heard this, and perhaps even when we hear this, we go, well, this is going to be an HR nightmare, okay? I don't even, like, how, how are you going to sort all this out, my man? I mean, you've got some people working 12 hours. You've got some working nine, six, three. I mean, how are you going to pay them all? How are you going to pay them fairly and equitably? I mean, who's going to get health insurance in this whole lot, all right? And what about this last group? What are they going to do? By the time they get to the vineyard, what is there, like 20 minutes of work left? Are they going to pick one grape? You got yourself a real nightmare on your hands, my man. Nice and all, but oof, good luck. And so Jesus, knowing what they're thinking, he shows us exactly how he's going to handle the payment of all these different workers. It says that evening, now that the workday is done, that evening he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. So picture this. He's got all the workers lined up. Right? You've got the, the vineyard behind them. There's a dusty road. You've got the, you know, the stone building behind them. It looks like it's Tuscany or something. Beautiful place. All right? And standing before them, you've got the people who've worked like, I don't know, 25 minutes. All right? Now, way down there, you've got the folks who've been there all day long who've worked 12 hours. Now, here's the twist. And here is Jesus' way of saying, look, look, this is what God is like. If you want to know what God is like, listen to what I'm about to tell you. If, if you want to know what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like, I'm about to tell you. And what Jesus is about to say is so unsettling for some people. But for others, 
It just gives them so much hope. We read that the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and they each received a denarius. I mean, these folks who put about an hour's worth of work in, they got what the original group was promised. They received a full day's pay, even though they came at the very end. Now, I mean, seeing this, imagine how the folks who put a full day in were feeling. I mean, they were jumping for joy. They were pumped. I mean, they're drooling because they're thinking, oh my gosh, we expected to make a denarius for the day. It looks like this guy's paying a denarius an hour. I mean, imagine how much we're going to get. Boys, this is going to be good. It says that when they, pull it up for it, when those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed that they would receive more, right? And mom always told you what happens when you assume, right? So it says, but um, each one of them also received a denarius. Huh. And what did they do when they received exactly what they agreed to receive to perform the job that they agreed to perform? Well, it says when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. They're mad. And let's be honest, wouldn't you be too? I mean, uh, come on, right? See, you know what this is like? I was thinking about it. This is like those group projects you had to do in high school. Those nightmares, okay? You got four people, you got the one guy, he ain't doing anything. You got the other two, bare minimum. They're kind of like basically taking notes. And you did the whole thing, all right? And yet, everyone gets the same grade. Ah! You know what the theological term for that is? Whack, okay? It's whack. It's not fair, okay? I did all the work. I put in all the hours. I showed up early. I stayed late. These jokers, they barely did anything, and we're all going to get the same grade? I don't think so. You should get what you deserve. And so the full-day laborers complain. Here's what they say. They go, these who were hired last, they worked only one hour. And you, pointed a landowner, you have made them equal to us. And they are not equal to us. At least not by our standards. Because we came at dawn. We worked through lunch. We were out there with those grapes in the hottest part of the day. We came at the beginning, they showed up at the end. They are not equal to us. So the landowner responds. It says, but he answered one of them. One guy's doing all the talking. He goes, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? He says, take your money, go. Now this might sound a little short, um, I think it's more due to the, the English translation, but when you go back and, and you read the commentaries, what this is is an invitation to be happy. The landowner is saying, you have received exactly what you have always been promised. You can receive this and you can be happy. You can receive this and you can have joy in your heart and you can leave here today. But then Jesus sort of steps into the story and speaks to us through the voice of the landowner. And he explains his motives for all of this. The landowner says, I want, to which the worker goes, oh, so this is about what you want now. Yeah, 
This is my vineyard. Do what I want. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. I want to give the ones who showed up at the end the same thing that I gave to you who showed up at the beginning. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? And remember, in the beginning, we talked about that the currency of God's kingdom is grace. Don't I have the right to dispense grace on whomever I want? And what this landowner says next is, is the coup de grace. It's the convicting part. It's the part where if you didn't know who you were in this story, you're about to find out. Because he looks at this worker and he says, or do you resent my generosity towards others? You see, it's in this moment that Jesus shines the God's honest truth into our hearts. And the reality is at some point and at some time and at some level, we have all seen the world through the eyes of the 12-hour labor. And, and even though we as Christians, if, if you're a Christian in the room, even though we as Christians have been the beneficiary of God's grace, there's part of us, let's be honest, there's part of us that wants others to get what they deserve. You see, when Jesus came into this world, he invited us to see this world in a different way. When he stepped into this world, he invited us to see the people around us in a different way. And when he walked this land, he challenged us to see our relationship with God in a different way. Because the kingdom of God is characterized by unexpected generosity. And it's in this parable that Jesus is asking you, and he's asking me, can you handle this? You be right with this? Can you handle a system where the undeserving get exactly what they don't deserve? Would you be willing, as a follower of mine, would you be willing to extend to others what they don't deserve because your heavenly Father extended to you exactly what you don't deserve? See, through this parable, what Jesus is saying to us, he goes, look, when you begin to really understand, and I mean really understand what God is like, when you begin to see the value system that I, as his son, came to introduce to this world, it can feel a little like the last will be first and the first will be last. It might feel unfair. Because how you've been raised to measure fairness. And how do we measure fairness? We compare. But the takeaway from this parable is that grace doesn't compare. Because no matter how good you think you are, right, or how early you showed up to the Jesus party, we have all fallen short of God's standard. And while grace may not feel fair necessarily, it is actually the gold standard for fairness. Because when it comes to God's kingdom, here's the thing. Everyone is invited. Everyone. People who show up at 6, 
nine, 12, three, five, they're all invited. No matter how badly you screwed up in your past, no matter how perfect you think you lived, you're all invited. Those of you who have baggage in your life, you're invited. And here's the kicker. All those people who judged your baggage, they're invited too. And in God's kingdom, everyone enters through the same door. And that door is Jesus, who called sin, sin, who called sinners, sinners, and then died for all the sinners. I mean, he never shied away from the truth. He never sugarcoated anything. When he saw sin, he called it sin. He was not afraid to call a sinner a sinner, and then he laid his life down for those he called sinners. And lastly, in God's kingdom, everyone enters the same way by placing your trust in Jesus Christ, trusting that what he did on our behalf made us right with God, regardless of how unright we've been. So it's practical. What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we just want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So all week, I was just, I just really like this parable a lot. I just really, really do. And I was just thinking, how do we capture the essence of this incredible story? And personally, I was really impacted by the imagery of this landowner walking through the market observing the people who had a willingness to respond. And so in light of that picture that Jesus painted for us, I just have one question. And, and this question might not be for all of you. In fact, it might just be for one of you. But in light of the story that Jesus told us today, who is looking for work? Because God in this moment is here. His presence is in this room and with you at home. And he, like the vineyard owner, if you haven't figured that out, is looking for people who need him. Is that you? Now, I don't know your story, but does it feel like 5 p.m. in your life? I mean, do you feel like it's just too late in the game to be accepted by God? Have you been so judged by society and family and maybe even local church that you just think you're too far gone for God? See, the greatest part of this parable is that no matter how late it is in the day, it is never too late for Jesus. No matter how late in life it is, it is never too late for Jesus. You could be on your deathbed and in the final throes of life, cry out to Jesus and he would give you the gift of eternal life. It's why one of the most incredible pictures in all the Bible of the thief hanging on that cross next to Jesus Christ, in the final moments of his life, cried out to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. A man who was moments away from death, hanging on that cross because he was a stealing, who never stepped inside a local church, 
who perhaps never read a word of scripture. But it was 5 p.m. And it was getting dark. And in that moment, he just cried out, please, Jesus, remember me. Truly, I tell you, today, you will be with me in paradise. This man, he was never baptized, never took communion, never sang a worship song in his life. I mean, when you think about all the things that we do during our Christian journey, or should I say we get the opportunity to do, this guy did not. But in that moment and on that cross, he looked to his right and he put his faith in Christ and Jesus Christ took him into the vineyard. When that man took his last breath, he received the same reward as Paul, who started churches all over the world, who wrote over half of the New Testament, This man received the same reward as Matthew and Mark, Luke and John, the gospel writers, the disciples. He received the same reward as any of you who have put your faith in Christ. Folks, don't wait until the end. Don't wait until it's 5 p.m. Today, today, ask Jesus to remember you. Let me pray for you. Dearly Father, I want to thank you that we have this opportunity to come together. And I'm just so grateful that this incredible parable has been preserved for us. Because what a challenge it is across the board, Lord. Because the truth is, God, as Christians, particularly those of us who have known your son as our personal Lord and Savior for many years, we have forgotten that we too have been the beneficiaries of grace. Forgive us, Lord, if we have judged others because of their story and their walk. And I pray that today, Lord, if there is someone in this room or watching online or listening in the future who does not know you yet, and it's getting later in the day, and they think time might be running out, God, I pray that today, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they would cry out to your son. Remember me. And they would know that they know, that they know, that when they take their final breaths on this earth, when they close their eyes for the last time, and when they open them, They will be in their father's vineyard. Thank you for the gift of grace. Thank you for Jesus. We ask all this in your name.